Hi everyone, welcome to the B2B Sales Podcast. I'm Thibaut. And I'm Ara. Every week, we interview thought leaders, experts, and top performers in B2B sales. During 30 to 45 minutes, we will deep dive into topics like modern prospection, pipeline management tactics, or innovative sales tools to help you navigate the complex world of B2B sales. We're on a mission to change the way society sees sales. This profession is one of the most rewarding ever, yet many people are afraid to do sales or they choose this career by default. This podcast is brought to you by Sales Labs. If you want to know more about our sales training and coaching programs, go to www.saleslabs.io. It's www.saleslabs.io. So get ready for your dose of sales wisdom and enjoy the show. Hi everyone, uh, welcome to this new episode of the B2B Sales Podcast. So today I have a guest from a pretty cool company. So uh, I'd like to welcome Enrique Moniz de Aragao. I hope I said your name properly. So welcome to the show, Enrique. Thank you for having me, Tibor, and uh, that was a great introduction. <laughs> great. So how are you doing? I'm very good, thank you. Looking out of uh, the window, very sunny day in the suburbs of London albeit a bit cold. Yeah, no, that's pretty in Berlin here. It's, it's between sunny and rainy. It actually looks like London weather, but uh, yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> so uh, we won't talk about the weather in this podcast. We'll talk about uh, different other things. So the idea is like, uh, so you, you know, I'll let you present yourself, but we'll talk about how you actually have created the revenue operation unit in MAR for G2. But before we dive into it, can you maybe present yourself, tell us a bit about your background and who you are actually? Yeah, sure. So um, my name is Enrique, as you said, and uh, very happy to be here. And I've been really enjoyed getting to know you um, over the last few weeks. Um, I'm originally from Brazil and um, I've worked in software as a service um, in Europe for the last 13 years, primarily in sales and um, did a combination of different roles uh, in that space in the last 13 years. Went uh, into uh, CRM consulting and uh, then went to work for a big CRM company. And most recently, uh, earlier last year, I joined as general manager for G2 in the EMEA region. Okay. Okay. I see. So yeah, you, you have this very interesting profile of, uh, you know, it's, it's like, it's not, it's kind of you're part of one very uh, like uh, interesting generation of uh, of uh, sales like tech sales and SaaS uh, people there where you worked you know as you said in this uh, famous CRM company we won't name it but I guess people can go on LinkedIn and find it <laughs> but it's uh, you know it's, it's super interesting I've met like a lot of people like uh, Oliver Manulovic from uh, Personio also who's like in you know very similar similar thing there. Um, and yeah, that's 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 pretty pretty interesting to see that generation. Can you a bit tell me a bit more on actually how did you switch from going from this previous company to G two? How did you get the opportunity actually? Yeah, sure. And in fact, um, I mean, I, I have no issue naming the companies as I go through. Um, I just didn't think it was relevant at the time. But yeah. um, very happy to sort of share a little bit about my journey. Uh, I, for one, you know, I'm fascinated in understanding how people progress through their careers and yeah. what led what one thing led to another because it's very easy to always say hey you know build your goals make your plan and make it happen but the reality is it never happens that way yeah um so i'll take you back i'll take you back um a decade or so just to, to walk you through and if it gets too long you can edit the long boring bits <laughs> afterwards yeah uh, but i certainly have enjoyed learning this from others so i thought i'd share my 
my side of the story. Um, so yeah, so as I said, I'm originally from Brazil. My career really accelerated um, after I joined a, a Salesforce CRM consultancy in a sales role. Yeah. Uh, but prior to that, I had worked uh, in um, general technology implementation consulting in the HR space. Mm-hmm. Um, I was also a product manager, right? So I was actually um, helping build products and take them to market. Um, did that for about a year and a half. And I also did about uh, a year and a half of pre-sales. So, um, so sales engineering, which is basically the person who goes in with a salesperson and then listens to the customer uh, and then builds a demo or responds to the RFP. There's basically a lot of the monkey work that a lot of lazy salespeople don't like to do, mm-hmm. but it's great preparation for sales, right? Yeah. But my career, as I said, really took off after I joined a Salesforce CRM consultancy in a sales role. Uh, and I was there for almost five years and we built what became the largest of its kind in Europe. Um, so implementing Salesforce technology uh, as a services company for big companies like, you know, we did the British Airways CRM implementation, Unilever, Vodafone, um, which sounds crazy because we were like a 200 person company. But the reality is that back then um, in the early 2000s, like the big consultancies like Accenture, Deloitte, Capgemini, they didn't know what this Salesforce thing was. In fact, I didn't even know. I just thought it sounded pretty cool and they they were hiring. And so I I decided that, you know, if somebody wanted to give me a chance at a sales job, I was going to take it. Um, So it was before any of the big consultancies were doing Salesforce. And so um, I did really well. Um, I had this technical background, which really helped me in in services because I could go in, I could do the discovery, I could build the demo. I could then help deliver the project. Um, So it was kind of one of those. Uh, but I was promoted multiple times uh, up to managing director level of that business. And we sold that business to Accenture in 2015. Um, and I really learned how to sell to like SaaS implementations. Yeah. Uh, I also sold my first million dollar deal during that time. I managed my first sales teams. Uh, and by the time that I left, I was running a $20 million uh, revenue business. Uh, but I knew I really wanted to scale SaaS, um, like product teams. Services wasn't really that cool because uh, the multiples aren't that high. <laughs> yeah, uh, It's great to build a services company if you're going to turn a profit and you're going to like take money out of the business every year. But if you want to flip it, um, if you want to have a, a liquidity event, then product is where the big valuations are at. And I, le- I knew that. So, uh, so I signed up to lead a product line of Salesforce across EMEA. Uh, there was these two entrepreneurs who had just sold their company called Steelbrick mm-hmm. to Salesforce for about $350 million. And this was basically a product that did all of the quoting for sales teams. So salespeople doing quotes, sending quotes out to customers, and then the operations team managing subscriptions, and then being able to invoice uh, their customers all on top of the Salesforce CRM platform. Um, so, um, so, uh, I joined Salesforce to lead that business, uh, in the EMEA region. Uh, we didn't really have much of a business cause they hadn't really ever sold in Europe. Um, and, um, we built and scaled teams across, uh, the UK and Ireland market, Netherlands, Nordics, France, Germany, and Israel, uh, in the Middle East as well. Um, and after three years, we've gone from, um, no revenue to 30 million in annual recurring revenue within three years, which is really exciting. 
And then I ended up at G2, first time setting up an actual office for a US company rather than just Teams. Um, and it's been a whole different experience. Okay, that's great. So 20 million first and 30 million. So we'll see where you take G2. Uh, but that's, uh, that's, that's pretty cool. And uh, can you tell me a bit more about like the, as you said, the difference, you know, like now you're more reporting to a, an American kind of, uh, I'd say, mother entity. Uh, what are the differences, you know, between this, this kind of situation and the situation where you're more, more like building a team only, like, uh, and not the full revenue operation? Yeah. Well, first for the similarities, um, I've made some big changes in terms of what I'm doing, what I'm selling, yeah. who I'm selling to, and what my market looks like. But actually the similarities, I think it's really important when you consider how do you take another big risky project yeah. is how you de-risk it, right? Um, so I like to think of the fact that, you know, I'm working for an American company and I used to work for an American company as well. So I understand the challenges that come with being a remote leader uh, within that kind of setup. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of those challenges are the same. Um, but secondly, I'm also, I'm working for the same people. So uh, the, um, the guys who sold their business to Salesforce and, and originally hired me there, are the same people who founded G2. Okay. Um, so I've tried to sort of de-risk my move in as many ways as I could, but it is very different because it's the first time, as I said, that I'm setting up an office rather than just a team. Um, and I also have responsibility beyond just sales uh, into the world of um, business development. So the, mm -hmm. the SDR side of the business, uh, customer success and marketing. Uh, so as I, I, as I like to think about it, the full customer life cycle yeah. and the full revenue life cycle. Okay. Okay. I see. And so did, did you have any kind of challenge going from, you know, like this kind of focus you had on sales to like this more, you know, so re it's always, it's still revenue, but I guess it's, it's, it's wider. So did you meet any challenge there in kind of selling this, this, uh, like these teams basically? Uh, absolutely. Well, so, um, I, well, let's be clear, right. I, so from a revenue perspective, most sales leaders in SaaS that are coming from mature SaaS organizations, um, like I did, they will have experience building sales teams to sell to new customers, Yeah. right? So going out and finding new customers. Um, so they'll, they'll be managing teams that do that or to, if you stretch it, they'll be doing that plus also doing upsells for existing customers. Yeah. Right. Uh, and that was the model um, that we had um, at Salesforce and other big tech. They do the same because the, the adoption of the product is so high that managing like renewals, like customer success team just manage renewals themselves. So yeah. one of the big changes going into managing the full revenue life cycles that all of a sudden you're not just responsible anymore for driving incremental um, recurring revenue. Right. Uh, but also to preserve the base. Yeah. Right. So if you think about the equation, the SaaS equation is you start at today with a certain amount of recurring revenue, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, you're going to try and renew as much of what you've got today as possible, right? And the reality is some companies won't be able to renew everything. So you're going to get attrition. Yeah. So you're already, you're already negative from where you were before. And then on top of that, you're going to try and sell more to your existing customers, to try and recover some of that. Yeah. And also on top of that, you're going to acquire new customers. Mm -hmm. What you're going to end up with, hopefully, is a lot more 
uh, recurring revenue than you started off with. Yeah. Uh, and so that's the biggest difference is understanding that equation and all of the levers that you can pull to manage that, both in terms of customer retention, customer expansion, customer acquisition, right? Yeah. Uh, and then as every good sales leader that would have um, done their time building um, sales teams would have known as well is understanding demand generation and how to, how to consistently continue to build pipeline yeah. uh, and, and manage that pipeline through its life cycle. So I think the biggest challenge for me was understanding beyond the experience that I had, um, what are those levers that impact that full equation of SaaS yeah. rather than just hitting a sales number. And I think that's what's, really, what's been the most exciting. Okay. Okay. I see. Yeah. I, I can totally understand this part because typically I have like, a, I have a problem. It's like, I love hunting new business. For me, it's just the signing new logos. I find it so much more exciting than renewing something. So if you know you were just letting me run an organization, I would hunt for new logos and I wouldn't care losing them after I would, as long as I have new logos. And so I think you know, having this uh, mindset shift where you're able to, to understand that you need to renew your, your current revenue and you need to reduce the churn as much as possible is super important. And uh, I, you know, I think it's also super exciting, as you said, to have these different levers. And, you know, when you're just in new business, you have one part of the equation. When you're managing the full revenue operation, you have all these levers. So it's, it's all kind of more exciting, more things to manage and, and learn. So, uh, right, yeah. right. And, and, and the other thing as well, which I found really, ex really interesting is, you know, if you're managing the entire revenue lifecycle, you're going to have a limited amount of resources, right, to, yeah. to put to work um, for that revenue. So if you think about your resources, in terms of um, where you're going to where you're going to focus your demand generation, you're going to focus on generating demand from your customer base or from prospects, right? Where are you going to put your headcount? Are you yeah. going to build a new business acquisition team, or you're going to beef up your account managers? Uh, and and you take into account things like you know how what is our win rate for new business, right? Are yeah. we winning like 18% of our business, which means we need in excess of five times pipeline coverage? versus what's your win rate um, for uh, add-on deals for existing customers, yeah. more likely north of 50%, if not 70%, yeah. right? So then you think, well, should I be investing in um, more resources to drive more revenue from my existing customer base, right? Um, yeah. And then it really starts, you start to think about, okay, how do I go from 1 million ARR to 3 million ARR to 10 million ARR, yeah. where is that money going to come from? Is it going to come from growing my existing account base based on the assumption or the, the knowledge that we have now in the market that typically you only realize a very small portion, people say somewhere between six to 10% yeah. of the full lifetime value of a customer in the first deal, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, versus actually composing that ARR growth based on relentless like customer acquisition with yeah. super high churn yeah right so those are really interesting considerations to make and i think you, you realize you become a lot more of a numbers geek um so you, none of the stuff that you used to do before you do less of but right? you don't you don't stop rolling up your sleeves and yeah working directly with your team and with your customers but then you do have to become a lot more strategic when you think about the full revenue about where you're going to place your bets uh, and what's unique to your business right yeah. yeah yeah that's that's really interesting actually that's uh I mean, I see it like running a business where, you know, it's, it's, it's obviously a smaller business I'm running, but uh, I have to manage everything. And I see like being smart is actually just working on, on what converts the best and often it's existing customers. You know, it's just like new logo is great, but 
it's not the smartest way to uh to maximize revenue it's good to maximize kind of uh, growth and uh and new logos but yeah you have to work on other things too cool and um in terms of uh, of uh, geographical expansion so you're covering EMEA which is like a pretty vast and diverse uh, area so do you have any kind of uh, kind of challenges you faced there you know in terms of culture or did you find anything specific there yeah well <laughs> where do i begin right um <laughs> so um i think i have a really i'm quite lucky and and, and i do mean lucky and i don't use that word lightly by the fact that I am a foreigner, um, I'm not from the UK, I'm not even from Europe, um, and I've experienced firsthand what it's like to try and uh, think local, speak local, um, and connect with people in a local way. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of people don't have that benefit. So I do appreciate that I've been gifted that condition which has helped me become a lot more compassionate to you know to, to how to build teams mm -hmm. um but I, I will say that my interpretation of running an international office for a mid-sized company like g2 300 to 400 people is that you're running a small scale version of your entire business in the region yeah right compare that to when i was running a 30 person business within the same region at salesforce right where we had 1,500 people overall in EMEA, right? Um, we were a small constituent part of a much bigger whole. Yeah. So now that we're running 20-person business in a 20-person region, we are the region. So I think that apart from the obvious challenges related to language, you know, being a hub, uh, you know, being a satellite office versus the hub, um, uh, and also figuring out, do you want one central office in EMEA? Do you want multiple offices? How do you localize sales collateral, right? Um, yeah. the, the biggest challenges really, I think, are around how to set up the non-quota carrying functions, yeah. right? Because most people who get given the job of being head of EMEA or general manager of EMEA, VP of EMEA, like 99% of the time, that person has got one thing and one thing on their mind, and that's revenue. Most of those people will have a revenue goal, right, first and foremost. And the biggest challenge is not necessarily around how do you build the teams, how do you source the right people, how do you set up the offices. I would say is how to set up the non-quota carrying functions because it's those non-quota carrying functions that will have the biggest impact on your success. Um, and you know what, what, I'm, what I mean by that is customer success, marketing as an example, right? Mm -hmm. And then you really have to think about how is your business going to support you around those non-coded carrying functions? And what I have found is that there are three ways of doing it. Because um, obviously what, what happens is you get a spreadsheet with your, with your budget and your budget only has salespeople on it, right? Yeah. So yeah, we're only going to give you budget that's going to translate into revenue. The rest, yeah. we, we don't know about, right? <laughs> um, so I can tell you like my experience coming into G2, like what, what we had to do um, to sort of change that plan. But let me tell you about the three ways that typically those non-quota carrying functions can be serviced, right? The first one, very simple, and it's the one every person that's building a spreadsheet somewhere in the headquarters assumes, is that you take support from headquarters, right? Yeah. And they will service you remotely, right? And I really, everyone thinks that's a great idea because it's the cheapest idea, right? Yeah. Option number two, you hire someone, 
right? You hire someone local, uh, but you still have them report into the US. Yeah. Right? Because that's where most of those their team members are, the people who know how to do that stuff are located. It's a bit pricier, but it also gives you still the the ability to sort of maintain your your bandwidth and, and work yeah. with your team. And then you've got option three, which is the, the priciest option, which is you hire someone local uh, and then you report them into you locally. Yeah. Right? Um, the lessons that I learned is that anything that falls into bucket one is always going to cause frustration with your revenue teams. Mm -hmm. And as a leader, what you're going to end up having to do is a lot of late night calls. Yeah. Try and get the support from abroad. And in my case, and in my experience as well, a lot of long haul travel. Yeah. Right. To get to, to mend that pain. Right. Exactly. Sort of be that glue. Right. So also think like product management. Right. So you're like you're selling to a new market. You need features. The market is telling you they need sort of the product to act differently. You have to manage all of those requests. Right. Sort of. Yeah. Um, internationally and then if you choose to put a role into bucket two it means you will have a local resource but that person will be more of like a, a business partner uh -huh. right so no more late night calls no long haul travel that's their job they have to keep going back right <laughs> um, but you're limited you're limited in your ability to be able to take a hundred percent responsibility for the outcome which is the revenue right yeah um, and so this could be a local services team that reports into the VP of professional services in the US right, to deliver the projects. It could be the support team, it could be the marketing manager, right? And the only times I've seen this work is when that person is senior enough or experienced enough yeah. to be able to work well independently and as your peer, right? Yeah. If they need support, if they need supervision, if they need guidance, uh, then having them reporting to the US will lead to failure and they will either leave the company or they will fail and you'll have to let them go. Yeah. So in summary, if, you, if your company can't afford someone who can be a local leader, um, then put them into bucket three, have them report into you. Yeah. Right. Okay. And that's basically what we did with G2. Um, so hire, you know, we hired non-revenue functions locally. Mm -hmm. we, we had them report in locally. Um, but in the end of the day, customers and revenue are still your priority. So you can only manage so many people. Yeah. Right. So you, you're going to start to hire more and more salespeople as you grow your revenue. Um, and then you've got to accept that you're going to be promoting leaders into certain functions much sooner yeah. than you would have expected. Okay. Um, so there is no, there is no cheap and easy way. Yeah. Um, but I think that's been the biggest challenge. So this is pure gold, what you just said. That's amazing. So I'm gonna, um, that's the answer I'll give to anyone in the US saying, what should I do in Europe? I say, oh, you know, trust my experience. <laughs> and actually I'll just use your experience. <laughs> but this is something I've seen so much where you have like local sales teams, you know, everything's great. And all the rest, all the marketing, as you said, customer support, whatever, they are back in the US. And then when you ask something, they're like, you know, just use this one pager. It works. Yeah. But it's in English. And, you know, it's like it, it's a very American driven. All the brands are American, so they're not localized for Europe. So it doesn't work. And that's something I've seen so much. The frustration it creates for different things, you know, like the collateral is not really like localized, but also, as you said, the late night calls, the late night fl flights, you know, and the headquarters is in Chicago for you. So I guess that's uh, Eastern time or standard. I don't know, but like for me, what I was like uh, before my, you know, creating my company I was reporting to a company that was based in San Francisco and you end up having calls like on Friday at, I don't know, eight or nine. And this creates a huge amount of frustration for a lot of people. And Often, you know, they're fine to fly you, fly you there, but they fly you in economy. So it's not that fun, but it's, uh, that's yeah. very interesting. What you said, that's like something I've, I couldn't put my finger on, but now I can. So 
Yeah, and it doesn't, you don't need to hire a big team, right? Yeah. Like our marketing team has got like 35 plus people. Like you only need one person. Yeah. One person can have a big impact. Um, and if they are that kind of like coordinator, get things done, sort of, sort of person that can work independently, that's all you need. And it will make yeah. a huge, imp huge impact on your revenue goals. Yeah, okay. That, very good. Very, that's really interesting. And that's a good transition to my next question is, how do you market a US brand in EMEA? How do you market a US brand in EMEA? Um, well, how big is your marketing team and budget? I don't know that that would be <laughs> uh, how much money have you got to spend? Look, I, it's funny because I like what we do at G2 is, um, in fact, um, I didn't, I think a lot of people might not actually know what G2 do, but, um, we were actually helping people market their businesses. Right. Yeah. Um, so G2, as, as you know, Tibor is, is a business software review site. So people come to G2 to research software before they buy. So it's, it's where software buyers come to discover software. Mm -hmm. uh, and then it's also where software vendors come to sell software, right? Yeah. So we have more than 1 million verified reviews from real users of software. Um, and we make our money by helping these software companies sell more, mm -hmm. right? So we connect them with more than 5 million buyers that come to G2 every month. Mm -hmm. uh, and so constantly I'm working with companies who are um, either in the US and they want to expand into Europe or they are in Europe. Um, and they, well, within a country in Europe, they want to expand to other countries or they want to expand globally. Yeah. Um, and so they ask, and we ask them the same question, like how do you market your brand, right? Um, but um, I think, I, I tend to think about answering two questions um, when I think about that. Um, and the first one is, am I trying to get people to know about my business, right? Mm -hmm. Or question number two, am I trying to educate my market about the fact that a business that they may already know is now in EMEA, yeah. right? And hey, we're here and we're ready and we're able to help them, right? So is your challenge brand awareness or is your challenge um, educating your market about the fact that you guys are here, you can help them and let's get going, right? Because for G2, is a little, it was a little bit of both when we, when we landed. A lot of yeah. people had heard about us and I think we're doing more of two now than we are of one. Right. Yeah. And one, am I trying to get people to know about my business? You can solve that with good um, paid um, digital media um, challenges, uh, sorry, uh, initiatives and strategies. But really, I think like the, the answer you need to be answering is number two. Right. Because your marketing budget will take care of number one. Yeah. But if, what you really want to look at is number two, yeah. just to educate the market. Right. It's going to take more than marketing budget. Right. And a bit more time. So it's less about messaging. It's more about uh, what's your go-to-market strategy, yeah. right? So what segments are you going after? What industries, what regions, right, um, are more suitable for your product? Um, what's the product market fit? Um, how do you build the right team, right? Um, does your product work in this region or these countries? Um, and what is the right sort of mix of customers? So I could give you, I could, I could try and give you a cookie cutter template that will work for all businesses but I can't. So I can talk a little bit about what we did at Salesforce and G2 to, to bring this to life. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So, so, so bringing a US product to EMEA, you probably already know where you are most likely to succeed first, right? So if you have US customers that have used and deployed your product in certain offices in Europe, you're likely to be able to deploy like experienced US staff um, yeah. here that have worked on those accounts. 
Um, so I, you know, we did that at Salesforce. I did that at G2. We actually relocated people from the US when we were building our teams yeah. um, who had worked with um, US customers in Europe before, right? So nobody else was like, completely green. But that allowed us to cross-pollinate knowledge um, within our local teams. Um, and then also coming US to EMEA, typically uh, it makes sense to focus on English-speaking business markets first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So UK, Ireland, and then also Benelux and Nordics um, as English-speaking business markets. Yeah. Um, and then if you're already a large company rolling out um, a new offering, like we were at Salesforce, you leverage also local talent, right? If you are a large company uh, to build your teams. So, you know, I hired a lot from within. So if I was, if I was doing this again for an enterprise company, I would do that again. You know, I pulled out my first hires in uh, Sweden and France and Germany from other internal teams because they knew the market. They knew how to position the company. They already had multiple buyer relationships. Yeah. Right. Yes, they needed to learn the product, but for me, it was more important that they knew the market. Um, so I, I leverage that a lot. And then you also need to respect your, your, your product capabilities, right? So this is going to dictate how you market. So with G2 now, we, um, you know, we're helping companies find buyers for their software. Um, and we have the largest online sort of uh, tr- online software trade show, as you would like to think about it. Yeah. But no matter how big we are, some countries are still not going to be going online at the same rate as others. Yeah. Right. So I can tell you when we look at our traffic and we have the biggest representative sample of how many people are going online to, what, to look for reviews. There are some com- countries that simply don't have that big of an online software research driven market. Yeah. Um, and so there's nothing we can do about that. Right. And that will take time to evolve the same way that cloud adoption, you know, in, I don't know, I, I could argue some areas like the, the German Mittelstand, you know, are, are still probably like 10 years behind the rest of Europe and 20 yeah. years behind the US, right? Yeah. And there's nothing you can do to change that, right? Yeah. So you need to respect that. Um, and then also, you know, G2, you know, we, you could write a review in any language, uh, but we can only provide a single .com experience for you, which is yeah. an English experience. Exactly. So when we said about marketing G2 and EMEA, we were very deliberate that we were, you know, helping EMEA companies expand globally by targeting buyers from all around the world. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, funded e- uh, European tech company taking a product-led growth approach globally, right? Or like Israeli companies that are born like straight into Europe and straight into the US, right? Yeah. Or then number two, we were helping global companies like US companies coming into Europe, yeah. right? Um, who already are selling in English, uh, building advocates in local markets and building trust with new prospects. Uh, and then three, we're also helping local European companies that are like in one country yeah. expand to other regions. So things like UK companies selling into the Nordics and, Be- and, and Benelux or German um, companies that are, are born already with a, an ambition to sell in English to multiple European countries yeah. and US. So, uh, we really need to be careful when we're, mar- when we're doing that marketing thing. It's less about building awareness, but actually going about your go-to-market the right way. Yeah. And, and I think that's been really relevant for us in, in both the big, big company experience and the, and the scale-up. Okay. That's really interesting because we have the exact same ideal customer profile. It's like I'm exactly targeting these kind of companies, either in the US, you know, coming to Europe or these kind of European companies that have like a global kind of mindset and all the, the small ones that are really like, 
that, that are, for example, in France, but they are Germany, but they have everything in English because they have like global ambitions. So I think it's, uh, it's really interesting there. And, um, and, and so coming back to maybe like your, your role, you know, as a, uh, like managing the, these, the, like this revenue operation, um, how do you kind of juggle between all these things like marketing, business development, customer service? What's the, how do you make sure you're not like, uh, you know, like pulled in too many directions and then you focus only on one and not all the rest? Yeah. Um, I think, I think you really need to understand, as I, I, was, I was explaining earlier, you need to understand your, your, your revenue, um, model. Yeah. Right. Um, so what makes up your revenue model when you think about revenue operations? It's, it's the stuff that goes in at the top, which is your demand, your pipe, your pipeline generation, yeah. right? Um, and where does that come from? Uh, and so there you've got your business development team doing outbound, right? And, and, mm -hmm. and then you've got your marketing team generating inbound uh, and you've got your AEs as well doing um, demand generation. Uh, and then as you, as you go through, you've got your... Um, you've got your pipeline management and, and your, your forecasting and actually running deal execution and, and, and converting those prospects into customers. And then you've got your customers, yeah. right? So you've got your, your customer experience, you've got your onboarding, your, your success planning, um, and then your expansions and renewals business. So I've tried to juggle my responsibilities by focusing on that model mm -hmm. uh, and then breaking up the teams and my time um, with managing those different parts of the business. Yeah. So in terms of the org structure, um, originally I had a really flat reporting structure. And as we grew the teams, um, we started to cluster um, how, the, how the teams were set up, but also um, who was managing them. So I'll give you an yeah. example. In the, first, in the first six months of the G2 business, I, I made no differentiation in the sales team between whether you were hunting for new business or renewing existing one. Okay. Right. So in the first six months, the small sales team that we had was like hybrid. So mm -hmm. I had people like managing renewals, acquiring new business. And look, that stuff will break Tibor, right? It will, it, that, that will break you and it will break the business if you do it for longer than like six months. In fact, I think six yeah. months is too long if you were growing at the rate that we were. Um, but that's how you juggle it. At the beginning, everyone has to do a little bit of everything. Yeah. And then you start to specialize. So this year, um, uh, and by the time, and, and, and at the very beginning, you know, our BDRs were in the US, marketing was in the US, customer success was in the US, right? Okay. And so, and then, then what happened was, okay, we, we rebudgeted, we started to hire BDRs here, uh, we hired a CSM, actually transferred a CSM over, uh, and then we decided that we were going to split the sales team, right? Yeah. So when that happened, I went from having, um, over a course of four months, from having perhaps a, a group of, uh, four direct reports to having a group of 14 direct reports. Yeah. Right. Oh. Um, and, and the rule of thumb that I, I subscribe to that I've, I've heard elsewhere and I've, I've always felt it, it rang true for me is that um, if you cannot have uh, a one-to-one -one once a week uh, with each person in your team um, over no more than a day and a half of your week, right? If, you, if it takes you longer than a day and a half to have a one-to-one -one every week with your direct reports, uh, or if you can't, or you, if you can't have it because of the number of direct reports, then you've got too many. Yeah. Um, and so at that point, you need to start specialising uh, the teams and, and introducing management layers. So today, 
I have uh, a management team uh, of great leaders, um, one person who looks after our business development uh, and customer success organization. I've got uh, another leader who looks after uh, the net new business acquisition, and, and I've taken the responsibility directly of managing the um, account management, the renewals, yeah. and the existing customer business. And you know, you have to realize very quickly that if you if you can't juggle all of that, uh, you need to start specializing. Yeah. Okay. That's that's really interesting. Yeah. The the uh, that's is basically a playbook you gave on how to to get started with the MR kind of operation there, and. Um, it's, it's, have you experienced, because that's something I've lived as like more an individual contributor where, you know, like you, this, someone tells you, hey, this is friends, it's for you. And then you go and it's all your market and everything. It's amazing. You take care of everything. And then they take away things from you so you can focus on something specific, like more sales and whatever. And then some people tend to be very frustrated with that. Have you, have you had this kind of experience where people were very possessive of, 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 of the role they had and they, they didn't want to, you know, they, they were feeling bad that you were taking that from them? Yeah, I mean that, that happens a lot. Um, <laughs> it happens all the time, and it, it's part of um, it's part of evolving a, a business and a team. So, um, uh, I mean, at Salesforce, you know, we we were opening up new markets, um, and so to give you an idea, the model that I I had there with my teams was we would hire one person in France, let's say, okay, and then that person in France would cover um, customers in every segment. Uh -huh. right from smb through to enterprise yeah right and then uh, next year we'd or hire a, a, a second person and then all of a sudden that first person didn't have the entire market anymore yeah. they had only um a thousand employees and below yeah right uh and then the year after that um they only had a certain number of industries right yeah. within within that market uh, so yeah it's very tough but I think that um, we, you know, we need to be cognizant of the fact that uh, we need to recognize those individuals for their initial contribution yeah. uh, and make sure that as much as we're taking stuff away, we're giving new challenges as well. Yeah, exactly. Right. So it might be, um, it might be actually building the playbooks, helping with the hiring, um, doing the coaching and the mentoring yeah. for the new, for the new, for the new people. Right. And, um, and I think if you continue to find, uh, new ways to challenge uh, and push people um, to stretch themselves. It, it keeps it interesting. Yeah. Uh, but but these these uh, these these like fast growing teams that go from like two people to twenty people in twelve months. Um, you've got to be anticipating those changes, and I think it's really important as a leader to really focus on career planning. Yeah. And career development with your team, right? So you need to anticipate how the, how the business is going to change uh, and help them anticipate how the business is going to change yeah. because it's most likely going to change quicker than they thought and not to their liking, yeah. right? It's very common for you to have to hire a, a leader before your individual contributors are ready to be a leader. Exactly. Right? So, so you might say, you know, I'm going to need a leader in six months. You're not going to be ready in six months. You need to yeah. be thinking 12 months. So don't think about the, the sales leader role that's coming up in six months. Try and think of the sales leader role, if that's what you want to do, that's potentially coming in 12 months time yeah. and prepare for that. Okay. Right. And that's really, it's, it's even more important in these kind of environments. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really interesting because that's something I've experienced so much where 
you know, there's so much, you know, if, if you're a really good individual contributor and then you have like ambitions to be leading a team, often you're not ready to do it, you know? And so the, the wise business decision is to hire someone who's more senior to do that. But often it's like this person stepping on your, you know, like on your territory and stuff. But actually there's, it's quite a little secret in high growth companies, you know, your territory will shrink, your quota will increase. Uh, there's going to be more people like uh, competing for for the same amount. I mean, for resources and and if you're not like willing to accept that, you should find another industry because that's always going to happen. These kind of things, and uh, I think it's good. That it's you know whenever you have the opportunity to focus on something, you can be much better at it. And actually, your revenue or like the learnings you get out of that can be much better, and you're better at your craft than just doing everything. You know, so I think it's uh, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. Good. So we're nearing the end of the uh the time we have. So I just wanted to give you a bit of time to to uh you know pitch anything you want or you know if you're hiring, if there's anything you want to talk about, you have some time to to do that. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, um I didn't come to this call with any agenda. Um I am just happy to come and share my experience. And um I think one thing that I would invite uh, anyone listening to do is to go on g2.com. Um, if you work in SaaS, if you work in software as a service, uh, look for your company, see if there are um, reviews from your customers and write a review, right? Uh, write a review, go through that experience, but um, connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, I tend to connect openly with people because I like to follow uh, what goes on in the industry. Mm-hmm. And um, I hope that this will help um, increase uh, the reach of sales labs as well, Tibor. And I believe in what you're doing. I think what you're doing is great. Uh, you genuinely want to help um, leaders uh, grow and develop their sales teams. And that's something that I'm really passionate about as well. So no hidden agenda, but just uh, go check out g2.com. Yeah. Check me out on LinkedIn. And um, if you're interested in the kind of stuff that I'm doing, then please do connect with me. Okay, great. And, and yeah, G2 is, is, I have a lot of reviews now on G2 and uh, in terms of SEO, it's a great channel. People can, uh, when they come from G2, they stay on your website for a while. So it's, uh, that's something I've observed really well. So, and for, yeah, so it's, it's great. Yeah, but um, great. So I'll put everything, you know, the links to G2 and your LinkedIn profile in the episode description. And uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks for coming on the show. Really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for having yeah. me. And um, I hope um, this is uh uh, another one of many more exciting episodes to come yeah yeah we'll have so many and different things so i'm sure we're you're going to be back on the the show or some other shows we'll see i'm doing a lot of shows <laughs> thanks have thanks a good day. Sibor. great to speak to you bye